With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom. Simply visit www.realitycheck.radio forward slash donate to make a difference today. Welcome back to Greenwashed. It's me, Jaspreet, and Jill here. And before we whip into the SDG segment, as is our want, I think, Jill, we need to take a moment to reflect on some of the wording I see in the NZ First National Act Coalition Agreement. Yes, there's, some, there's a little nugget of um, good news buried in there, isn't there? Some, yeah. yeah. A few nuggets of good news. Two nuggets. So one of those. Ensure a national interest test is undertaken before New Zealand accepts any agreements from the United Nations and its agencies that limit national decision-making and reconfirm that New Zealand's domestic law holds primacy over any international agreements and confirm that the coalition government does not recognize the United Nations declarations on the rights of indigenous peoples, the UNDRIP, as having any legal binding effect, reserving against proposed, uh, you know, decisions on a proposed World Health Organization health regulation interest, uh, sorry, regulations to allow incoming government to consider these against the national interest test. So basically, to cut a long story short, this reads to me like there might just be a few people who think that the United Nations calling you out, David Seymour, has an impact on domestic New Zealand legislation and the fact that some of that impact may not be in our national interest, Jill. That you know that that is really good news that the you know finally the the UN's sort of been moved um, a li- little bit closer to the spotlight. But because I am the, the cynic that I am, and I can't help it, I think it's in my DNA. It's still going to be up to people to be really vigilant to to look out to see what is in your national interest or see. And take the opportunity if you get a chance to have your voice um, heard, you know, to to become, you know, to participate in it. Because if you don't don't participate in, in getting your freedom, you'll never have freedom. So, yeah, just just keep a close eye on what they're doing. Totally, it's it's our job to hold governments accountable, our you know politicians accountable, hold their feet to the fire when they need be. But you know, a few years ago, Jill, had you told me, because you know. I've had I've been called a conspiracy theorist in public meetings about by just asking a simple question, Mr. Seymour. What do you think uh, about the increasing impact of United Nations and domestic New Zealand policy in winter of 2021? And was uh, sort of laughed at by Seymour and in Invercargill. It is really right. surprising you, to me how lo- how you, far you, we've come. You were the, the well spoken conspiracy theorist, weren't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the fact that. This is now an acknowledgement. Again, as you said, you know, be a cynic. Don't just let things slip. Watch that this national benefit test is applied correctly, you know, in word and spirit both. But yeah, there's been some movement. And as you said, there's United Nations in the spotlight in New Zealand. And so thank you for that. Yes, and I, I'm I'm very relieved that that is is starting to happen and now you know so many more people know about the united nations and its role and you know we're talking today we're talking sdg 14 and 15 so Mm. um you know it's about the oceans and i I was saying to jasper before got on air that you know when you're a hammer everything looks like a nail but going through these two sdgs i can understand how people um really 
think that they're a, a force for good and they they make they say stuff that makes really good sense mm. yeah a, and i'm all for preserving and looking after our planet although i think our planet's a lot more resilient than what we give it credit for but um but it's the control that that comes with it so i'll go to my trusty translation jasper so goal 14 is to conserve this conserve and sustainable I haven't got my glasses on properly. Conserve and sustainable use of the oceans, seas, and marine resources um, for sustainable development, okay? And the translation is mandate licenses and quotas for all fishing, including individuals who fish for their own consumption. And when you dig down into it, that's exactly what it is. Mm. You know, it is about control. Yep. So, um, and what is SDG 15, Jill? I know it's uh, life on land. What does that translate to? Yes, so that is protect, restore, and promote sustainable use of um, terrestrial ecosystems, sustainability. I wish I had my other glasses on. Sustainable, sustainably managed forest, combat deforestation, deforest, um, and halt. And reverse land degradation and halt biodiversity loss. And the translation for that is to ensure every possible every ensure every possible seed is preserved in the global seed vault so the powers that be can regenerate the earth for themselves after they destroy it for everyone else. Now that is slightly <laughs> tongue in cheek, but I that seed vault has worried me actually. Um in some ways, it's a good idea. So that that one is a little bit snarky, but but yeah, it's not the what then; it is the how. It's Both the how. you and I would agree there is absolutely nothing wrong with taking care of our oceans, our seas, and land and ecosystems. But for me, as you said, it's it's about the control. You've got now quotas, endless quotas everywhere. We get rahuis put on various sections of uh, land, water, and so on. And at one time, I remember 14, 15 years ago when I came to New Zealand, Rahuis used to be somebody lost their lives and as a mark of respect. And now we have uh, Rahuis, which, uh, and you know, it used to be three or four days. Now we have in certain areas Rahuis well for over a year for replenishing of stock. Now who decides what level is sustainable and at what level do we consider the stocks replenished? That's true. And what stocks are we talking about? You know, we've got we, we. I know in the south it's different in the north. In the south, it's a lot colder, mm. and and the and the water's a lot rougher. Um, so the fishing isn't quite as intense. But who? It says in our sustainable report, the People's Report, that we're not actually taking good stock taking. We haven't got good stock taking prop practices so who knows exactly so who, who knows and, and when you have things like crayfish that that do their migratory path um once a year and and then they're commercially fished um how much does that knock them you know when you think that the hundreds of thousands of crayfish every year that are sent overseas exported mm. you know so so how 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 is this um how do they stock take? But again, that's Agenda 21. It's it's taking stock of everything. You remember over the last couple of years, you know, at some time between this COVID nonsense, there began 
noises about Haraki Gulf Forums. A couple of dozen of Auckland's marine parks reserves are going to be handed over to this body, which is not an elected body as such. It is uh, headed now the chief executive, unless I'm wrong, is still uh, a person, Alex Rogers, whose uh, LinkedIn profile says he's former diplomat, director of the APEC Secretariat, represented New Zealand in the United Nations, European Union, NATO, commerce graduate of Auckland University and a Harvard University trained negotiator. I'm just reading from Alex Rogers. Why does Harvard University always pop up? I know. Be it Wellington, let's get Wellington moving project. Be Jacinda going there. It's just Harvard, Stanford, these Ivy League universities. They always pop up. But slowly now, the conservation land, again, under uh, Horaki, has been nearly tripled under the protection area. This has recently happened, this last government, just before leaving. This was one of their last uh, strokes. But the repercussions are still going to come about how much more they're going to tighten the excess of ordinary Kiwis to these areas. And again, are we going to have the race card there? You are the right ethnicity. You can go and fish. You cannot. You're the wrong one. So this whole control will still be continuing. Well, I remember the panic of of um, the people in Auckland. You know, they were seriously looking down the barrel of not being allowed to take their boats out on the Gulf, mm. and it, and it was going to come to the end of of private private boating on the Gulf. Again, the end goal of that it works on you with your, your social credit score. You know, if you've been a good citizen, you'll be able to take your boat. But to to block people off fast or from fast areas of water and and beaches, or for sustainability, and to reach our international goals, and then one of the one of the worst offenders has been councils that have problems with the overflow, and it just goes straight out into the sea. Yeah, and then the um, beach, and then the beaches are, are closed off. So. So until those entities get their act together, they maybe shouldn't be pointing the finger too hard at normal Kiwis. Yeah, and it's amazing how many different arguments come from the same space. If conservation were just conservation alone, it would be fine. Now suddenly, and again, dredging, and you have bottom dredging, bottom trawling, all of those issues. But now you also have this initiative called Blue Carbon. And now they're saying you don't touch the bottom of the oceans because it is sequestering carbon. So, well, that is. Is that going to put an end to the bottom trawling? I don't know. So, they, I mean, the new jargon keeps coming. Blue carbon ecosystems are the most threatened ecosystems with, you know, nearly they say a million hectares being destroyed each, each year. And they say that the global eight, we lose nearly 25% of our mangrove tidal marshes and seagrass meadows each year. But as you showed me, Jill, why were the mangroves around, uh, what area was it that were recently chopped off? Oh, that was north of Auckland, um, some name that I'm not even going to try and get my I'll, tongue I'll, I'll, I'll get that. Um, a 20 million marina was made at Okara. This is near Fangare, and they cut off hundreds, and this news came in August this year. Yep. That hundreds of mature mangroves have been this week in August 23 cut down for fungaries, 20 million new Okara Marina, angering environmentalists, forests and bird, uh, the Vangare Harbour, mangrove forest folks and conservation people and everything. But it was a consented removal. But what was this done for? 
for people that sail around the world in their yachts that don't want to get caught between what is it April and November in the in the rough season. Yep. So the actual yep. blurb says that yep. the concentrated removal is the start of the 20 million marina, primarily focused on meeting growing demand from overseas yachts coming to New Zealand to escape the tropical cyclone season in the southern hemisphere between November and April. So you know, it is uh, it's all right for some. Whereas the average person going to fish on a, maybe one weekend a month, the others they might be doing stuff around the house, uh, might suddenly find themselves being hit by far more regulation. But you can cut off mangroves to uh, mollify overseas yachts. You can, and not everybody that trips around the world is, is filthy rich. You know, there's people that sell up mm. their houses and, and it, mm. you know do it as part of their dream. But again, you know, to, to cry out that we need our mango mangroves and and how um, important they are to the system, and they are um, to, to cut it down at a whim like that is is pretty. I mean, even I'm inv- agreeing with the environmentalists that, and, and hmm? you know, forest and bird, it's not very often I do that either. So, <laughs> so but, you know, like with the blue carbon, um, they reckon 192 million tonnes of sediment comes into our, into into the sea and into our waterways, and hmm. that's from land and, and um, farming practices and bits and pieces but that is not always a bad thing and sediment is always going to wash down a- and we and we can't stop it and that's what forms our, our, our rivers and our river mouths and um, and that's part of our system Yep It is the same control mechanism uh, you know, be it life on water or life on land It is alright for some Now, two years ago there was a 2600 hectare livestock farm in the headwaters of North Otago's Kakanoid River, Hazeldean Station. This went into a carbon farm. And I remember hearing Jane Smith. She is now the spokesperson for the Methane Science Accord. And if you haven't, please look up their website or check them out on Facebook. These are people trying to bring a bit of sense to the methane nonsense, the methane madness. Everyone was speaking about the fact that that area, those waters, were the last known habitat of New Zealand's rarest native fish, the lowland longjaw. Nothing happened. Suddenly, conservation was not conservation because there was money involved. And the station got converted to carbon forestry, you know, like what you will. Do what you will, yes. And yet forestry is actually um, the impact on forestry on our on our waterways and uh, our oceans is not good. And, you know, the West Coast beaches, the Gisborne beaches, Tolaga Bay, um, when you saw them just absolutely covered with, with forestry slash. You yeah. know, how, how is that good for I, uh, good I for have ocean? recently sat through an open council workshop, so I can talk about it because it was live streamed about how Southland aquifers and, you know, water reserves are going to be uh, decimated with the spread of carbon forestry. And there's there's a lot more in the offing because this new government also wants to have a look to make uh, the carbon forestry settings to make it more viable because the last few ETS auctions haven't gone well for them. But they drain the aquifers. They They take water. And there's only so far the modeling shown to us showed that there would come a time where the water intake from the carbon forest would be competing with domestic and pastoral use. I think that's already happening in Lawrence, little Mm -hmm. town in Lawrence. And um, 
they they're now surrounded by pine trees. Yeah. And it's now starting to affect the the town supply. So, you know, all these targets that they that that we put out and have, New Zealand's been quite slow actually with its with its care of the oceans, um, and you know, to effectively effectively regulate harvesting and end overfishing, which is going to be really hard because we have so many overseas interests that fish in our water mm. or just or just out of our zone, and. Yep. You know, talking to people that work on these factory boats, the the amount of product that is taken is massive. The amount of byproduct is is huge. Mm. And my brother, Karen, we've got a few minutes uh, left, Jill, and I'd like to focus now on life on land, where we've done. So you know, terrorist. They say we support terrestrial ecosystems and biodiversity, but again. I don't disagree with this, but how is this being played out? We have the indigenous biodiversity policy, which is going to cause farmers to literally require a consent for everything. So again, it's not the what, it is the how. We are creating wetlands in various places, which are a great thing, but the money is following. The government is now looking at they say exploring, which is actually jargon for it's a done deal, a biodiversity credit system to incentivize the protection and restoration of native wildlife. So again, you're going to be monetizing nature with these biodiversity credits. There is billions at stake here. There'll be some big players who will be using these, you know, you have bigger corporates creating wetlands who will be monetizing these as well as, you know, Taking their ESG, Environment, Social, Governance scores, getting green sustainability-linked loans because, hey, they're doing the right. But actually, they're all laughing all the way to the bank. These are will be these big players will be the only ones who will be able to afford to do all of that. And again, small businesses will be hitting the wall. They will be. And what I find staggering about this, Jasper, you know, is, is this whole thing about Mother Earth and you've got to absolutely protect her. And yet the United Nations is pushing the and the World Economic Forum is pushing the whole green energy scam. Mm. And, and you know, with the offshore windmills, that well, there's, it's pretty close to being a fact. Um, you know, they're decimating some whale populations. Um, on land, they're decimating the land with, with their toxic lithium mines and, and the, the water, the big water ponds, the settling ponds that go with them. So while they're expecting us on one hand to do, you know, to be good and live like like monks, um, they're actually out there doing massive damage to bring us this, this green energy, which is actually private industry but each one of these goals too that we're talking about each one of them comes with a cost so when agenda 21 was written in about 1992 to to protect the oceans was going to come at a cost of five billion dollars you know to protect the land is going to come at a cost of many more billions of dollars where does all of this money come from yeah where you know who's paying for this we are. Yeah, we are. Have a look so at your I'll... rates bill, your income tax, your fuel tax, the still the state of your roads, your state of your hospitals, the state of your schools. We and our future generations, because I can't just say there's now a lack of medical services. There's just a lack of services, period. 
what is yes. working there's a whole lot you know of infrastructure crumbling so we are actually paying for it whether you see it tangibly on your rates or uh, income tax bills or you see it intangibly in the crumbling infrastructure around you and how much i think the, the united nations from all its countries want something like a hundred billion dollars Mm-hmm. And, and a billion's a word that just rolls off at, rolls off your tongue. So to put that into perspective, if you start counting backwards from now, every second, go backwards, a billion seconds will take you back roughly to 1952 or 1953. That's a lot of money. So I, the Ministry of Environment's consultation on this monetizing of biodiversity credits ended on the 7th of November. But the slideshow is still available that they helped us uh, to you know understand what they're consulting with and they say that we need the government as a regulator in the biodiversity markets just like the carbon markets this is going to be another scam and again a scam that's going to make ponzi scheme that's going to make a whole lot of people very rich but what are they going to do they said you need to measure biodiversity outcomes then people will be given activity credits and nature repair certificates. God, that's gobbledygook if I ever heard anything. They'll have the government, then they have intermediaries, a trading platform, then they'll have landholders and investors. The way I see it, New Zealand left the subsidies, at least farming sector left the subsidies in the 80s. This is now going to see the farming sector again being given subsidies, just like it happens in yeah. Europe, you have that rewilding and rewooding or whatever else they choose to call it. And before you realize, you're being incentivized to produce less. And one day that incentive might just go. But meanwhile, your entire business structure has changed. Like Holland right now. I was listening to Peter Williams on the Groundswell podcast recently. He said he's been to Holland and out there, we out here have something like 3.5 cows per hectare. Holland has 0.7 cows per hectare. Yeah. And slowly, slowly, because of biodiversity issues, you will not be allowed to farm anymore. You will not be allowed to do pretty much go to some areas, but you'll, you will be needed as a volunteer to do a whole lot of good in your hood. Well, you will. And I was, where was it the other day? There's this talk about possible um, passport, passport type admittance into Milford Sound. Mm, mm. You know, so as a New Zealander, you, you will no longer be able to just go. But I, I will admit this, last time I was at Milford, there were so many buses and so many people's, people. And, and I was just looking at it going, how can we carry on doing this? Mm. And, and I think the problem is forced to be so bad that, you know, you need the government. And that, you know, the moment I hear those words, you need the government, I, I just go, no, we don't. We just need good common sense i you know jill i mean we, we need to wrap up in a couple of minutes but i'll say one thing and people need to understand this what when you say you need the government these days what you're getting is actually the private sector the regulation has moved to the unaccounted unelected private sector just like the Horaki gulf forum there might be a few council reps or a few local government reps but ultimately it's a private sector that's coming in. And Jill and I will cover more of that in the public-private partnerships and how, you know, I I have literally come to a stage where I think the government, central government, local government even, is just a placeholder. The agenda moves through NGOs and a network of ex-bureaucrats and so on. 
But for now, I think we'll end at this positive note that, hey, after a long time of clamoring for this, we finally have the coalition agreement mentioning that United Nations policies might just need a benefit to New Zealand test. I'm going to drink to that one. I am too, Jasper, with my lovely glass of etric water that nobody can see. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, but, you know, it, it yeah. is a start. You know, we've, we, we've got a foot on a ladder now about um, disentangling ourselves from the United Nations and, you know, relax over Christmas, cheers, and, um, you know, just keep vigilant. Yeah, I, I ain't letting you off the hook, Jill. We are SDG 15. We've got 16 and 17 to go. We'll have you back for one more show before we end oh, this. That's right. But thank you so much for coming on today and thank you listeners for tuning in. We'll see you thank again you. next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to RCR, Reality Check Radio. If you like what you're listening to or dislike what you're listening to, either way, we want to hear from you. Get in touch with us now. You can text us with your message to 2057, that's 2057, or email us at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We would love to hear from you, so connect with us today.